You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello to all my Bi-Week Bills fans. Welcome to another episode of the Mafia Mavens podcast, a podcast from an all-female perspective about the Buffalo Bills. Before we start, we want to let you know Robin is out in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere, and I'm out in Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere, and it's storming. So if there's a little bit of odd quality this week, blame it on the rain, Millie Vanilli, okay? <laughs> right on. All right. So let's dive right in. We asked our Twitter followers this week for all of their hot takes. We want them. We love them. And we're going to read a few and actually talk about it right now. So the first one comes from one of our favorites, the Bearded Photog. And he says, the Bills will put up 45 on Miami and Josh Allen will throw the ball out of New Era after his fourth touchdown pass with a bunch of fire emojis. What do you think about that one, Robin? I love the bearded faux talk. However, the Bills scoring 45 points, I don't know. This game makes me a little nervous in that it is a division rivalry, and we haven't really seen our offense blow up yet. So I don't think I could go with 45 points, but I hope that he's right. Oh, I sure hope he's right. But I, I think I'm with you on that, that 45 points is a, is a big task. Someone had said on Twitter the other day that they think that the Bills are going to kind of jam the football down their throats and run it because now remember Devin Singletary might be back. So I think it might be a little bit of a mix of both. They're going to get the run game going. They're going to get the pass game going, but I still don't think they're going to put up 45 points on the Dolphins. Would be fantastic. And you never know, but you said it's a division rival. They're coming off the bye week. I know Sean McDermott will have his team prepared, but I don't see it happening. Although. At the end of the game, I would love nothing more than for Josh Allen to throw that ball out of New Era Field. Just like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. That would be amazing. <laughs> I want to see that. I'm going to be there, so I hope he does do it. Ooh, maybe he'll throw it right to you. I could only hope. What do you think will happen? Can you catch a ball from Josh Allen like that or let knock you on your ass? <laughs> I would knock me on my ass, no doubt about it. You'll take one for the team, though, right? Definitely. <laughs> Go Bills. All right. So the next hot take comes from Buffalo Whiskey. That's at Whiskey Buffalo. He says the entire secondary should be pro bowlers, but you know won't be eligible. Wink emoji. What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what. It could get very interesting. What do you think? What do I think? I agree because Buffalo just doesn't get respect. Even when they're winning, we still don't get, I mean, maybe people like Adam Shine, they give respect to the Bills, but the Pro Bowl is just this big popularity contest and the Bills have one of the best secondaries in the league. And 
I don't care who's going to argue with me about that because it's true with Micah Hyde, Tredavious White, and Jordan Poyer and Levi Wallace, and then all of their backups who are doing an amazing job. They're absolutely amazing. You're absolutely right. But they don't get the respect that they deserve anywhere. So I don't see that happening for the Pro Bowl either. Probably not. I mean, when you think about it, how many times has Jerry Hughes had a season where he's been snubbed? Yep. Tredavious White's been snubbed the last few years. Really? Absolutely. And you know what? I'm starting a riot. If they don't make, if one member of our secondary doesn't make the Pro Bowl, I'm going to start a riot. Are you with me on that? I'll be carrying a torch right behind you. Good, because I need my partner in crime with me for that. You got it. (laughs) All right. The last hot take actually comes from myself because I had a big blow up conversation on my own personal Twitter about this. I said, if the Bills were going to trade for anyone, I would absolutely welcome Odell Beckham Jr. on this team for various reasons. And a lot of people pushed back on me with that. But there was also a lot of people that liked it and retweeted it. And were like, yeah, let's do this. And I'll tell you why. People see what the media wants them to see. They portray him in a light that he looks like a diva. He looks like a brat. This, that, the other thing. But when I read articles about him, I read an ESPN article about him. His teammates, from his Browns teammates now to his past teammates in New York with the Giants, all say that he's the exact kind of teammate that you would want. He has every characteristic that you would want and need in a teammate. He loves them. He goes to bat for them. He will do anything for them. His issue isn't him being a cancer in the locker room or him being a bad teammate like Antonio Brown. His problem is that he's over-emotional, and sometimes he lets those emotions get in his way, and that he's an extremely competitive player. And all of his teammates also say that. The other thing I like about Odell Beckham is that he admits that. He says, yes, sometimes when I scuffle with other teams, I'm starting to realize how that affects my team and my teammates. He says. I can't get into fights with other teams because that will cause penalties and hurt my own team. So I'm learning to not do that. And it's true that a lot of times big star receivers like him who have, you know, the camera following him around at all times tend to have a little bit of a diva personality because they're good. He's good. He's one of the best wide receivers in the league. I don't care what you say. And the fact of the matter is he wants the ball and why shouldn't he want the ball? And if you're hearing rumors that He doesn't want to be with the Browns anymore. Well, can you blame them? They're not winning many games. Baker hasn't looked great. Their offensive line is terrible. It's just not going along like he thought it would. He doesn't want to waste his talent on a crap team. Why would you blame him for that? So the other part of that is he would help Allen a lot because he can catch those balls that a lot of other receivers can't catch. He's a true number one receiver and that, you know, I believe that the Bills do need that. So Other than the money aspect of it, that maybe he might be a little too much, too rich for the Bills' blood at this point, I would absolutely welcome him on the Bills. Well, I'll tell you what. I think, Danielle, you could probably sell me Swampland in Florida. (laughs) Because that was the greatest pitch I've heard about OBJ yet. And I'll tell you what. We talked about this before we did this podcast, but I really think that OBJ is a kind of diva personality, but you made a really strong case here in terms of what do you mean by diva? Because not all divas are are created equal. For example, 
Hmm. Antonio Brown. He's like the classic example right now in terms of who you would not want to have on your team. But what you described in terms of OBJ and what his teammates have said about him, how he's matured, and I will say that I have seen a significant amount of emotional maturity from him Mm -hmm. since his rookie year. But originally going into talking with you about this question, I was thinking, oh, no, I don't want to deal with it. You know, I don't want to deal with OBJ. I don't want another diva receiver, blah, blah, blah. But your, your points are so well made in terms of if he's more a team player than what we've seen from other players like Antonio Brown and others, that might not be so far fetched. Your point, though, about the salary, therein lies the real issue. If he came at the right price, I think the Bills would jump all over him. And I would like that, too, in terms of just as a pure physical receiver, he's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's no he, he's like nobody else in the NFL right now, as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree. He's, uh, he's still very young, so he has a lot of good play left in him. And I know somebody had said, well... You know, but when he was available for trade and Gettleman had talked to Bean and Bean didn't want any part of it and in the past, so why would he now? Well, A, we don't really know what went on behind closed doors. We don't really know the whole situation, just what the media tells us. And B, things are a little different now. The Bills are winning. They're a good team. They're only one or two pieces away from being true Super Bowl contenders. So if they think that wide receiver is one of the spots that they really need to upgrade and they need a true number one, I'm all for OBJ. Well, you sold me the swampland. <laughs> Good to know. I think I need a new job in sales. You might. <laughs> all right. So now that we talked a little bit about those hot takes, I think we want to move on. I want to talk about the Bills front office. So the Bills have been four and one in the past. They have a great chance of going 5-1 and one after this Miami Dolphins game on Sunday. But they've been there before. We've seen them. We've seen them crumble after a great opening start. What about these bills makes you trust them now? What's so different? For me, the first thing that I would focus on, and I think we do have enough of a sample size to talk about this, is obviously the head coach. McDermott's going into his third year. The third year, in my view, is a very critical time period when you're rebuilding a team. And what we have seen the Bills do in the first two years that Sean McDermott's been involved in the organization has been very positive from my perspective. And I think we have enough of a sample size now to get a real idea of what kind of a head coach Sean McDermott is. And I believe that he is a an emerging trend type coach in the NFL who's a little different than the traditional kinds of coaches that we're accustomed to seeing in the past. And by that, I mean, in terms of where Sean McDermott places his value system on what type of players that he wants is extremely different than what we've seen from, say, somebody like Rex Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, Rex Ryan didn't give a rip about, you know, personalities or team chemistry or any of that kind of stuff. And Sean McDermott, when he came on board, he was very clear about, and he repeatedly says this, that he has a prototype in his mind of the kind of player that he wants on his team. 
and maybe even more importantly, the kinds of players he doesn't want on his team. So I would begin by saying this team is different than in the past because they have a head coach that has really started thinking out of the box. Yeah. Sean McDermott, from the start, he's had a vision and he's stuck to that vision. He hasn't backpedaled in any way, shape or form. And the fact that Kim and Terry Pagola and Brandon Bean are all on the same page with each other and with Sean McDermott, that speaks volumes because now the players are bought in. They're all on the same wavelength. They get it. And I think that you said earlier when we were talking that you saw a bunch of interviews after practice the other day and every player, the one thing that they said was they could not wait to come back and practice and play. The bye week was great, but I mean, look what Josh Josh Allen didn't even leave the Buffalo area. He stayed there and he went to Alden High School, did the coin toss, read their you know motto and really was just an inspiration for these kids in his community where he plays. That speaks volumes to this team in general. They love each other. They love the community. They love their coach, their GM, their owners. The chemistry just oozes out of this team. Yes, and it's very different when we contrast that with the type of teams that we've had over the last 20 years that have come out playing hot from the get-go. It hasn't happened often in the last 20 years, but there has been a few years. 2008, I'm thinking of specifically under our friend Dick Duran. Um, you know, they came out lighting the world on fire and subsequently didn't make the playoffs. So it's understandable that Bills fans would be reluctant to jump on the train. But I think that we have enough evidence about Sean McDermott to this point to see that he really knows what he's doing in terms of how to put it, how to put a team together, how to take a group of personalities and put them together where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And you remember back when Stevie Johnson and Ryan Fitzpatrick and Freddie Jackson all played for the Bills, they called themselves the, the goon squad because they said that they were outcasts that nobody wanted and they came together and they all had a chip on their shoulders together and said, it's us against them. And really that team probably could have won maybe just with a little more talent could have won more games. I would say this team now is the closest to that kind of culture than any of the teams that we've seen recently. They have that us against them. You fight one of us, you fight all of us. That's what Ed Oliver recently said in one of his interviews. and. I love it. That is so important. And that's the intangible that we always talk about on this podcast, that it's not just about X's and O's. It's about the culture and the mentality and how these players react to one another. And that's what is making this team. Because if you look at it last season, when Sean McDermott was second year head coach, other than those first couple blowouts, because Josh Allen became the starter and wasn't even supposed to, most of the games were really, really close at the Bills. It could have gone in their favor. This year, Those games are going in their favor. They are winning those close ones because they're learning how to win. They're learning to rally with each other in the third and fourth quarters to win the ball game. And you're seeing that. And by next season, the third season of of Josh Allen's career, that's when I think things are just going to really take off. I agree with you. And furthermore, you can see the progression that Josh has made since the beginning of this season. But we've had enough of a sample size now to see the kind, what kind of coach Sean McDermott really is. 
And we all know that he puts together a good defense. Mm-hmm. You know, he put together a defense that went to the Super Bowl. So he knows what he's doing as far as that part of it is concerned. But the part that I was completely unaware of before he was hired is how much of a psychologist he really is Mm. in terms of understanding human behavior and how to take a group of young men and put them all on the same page. That's no small task. No. And I think other teams are going to start seeing this. And I think that the Bills are actually going to be a blueprint for teams in the future when they're looking for coaches and coaching staffs to put together. Oh, I was just going to add to that and say that one of the things that we see nowadays that we didn't see in the past, even 10 years ago, if you think about it, are these outrageous contracts that players are getting now. And it goes to something that I've talked about before in terms of if you have somebody who is so well compensated that they have absolutely no motivation to move past that. It's like, okay, you have enough money to survive. That's one thing. You have all kinds of money. Then you become a little bit pickier about how much you're willing to put your body on the line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are some different challenges today in terms of you know finding players that are, are truly motivated by the love of the game. But I think Sean McDermott has his pulse on that. He's got his hand on that situation in terms of understanding what kind of players will actually come together and play for each other, as you talked about. Right, because he preaches that you earn it. I don't care what you did in one game. If you don't do it consistently in 16 games, then you didn't earn it. That's what I like about Sean McDermott. And he kind of reminds me a little bit of Marv Levy and the fact that he's able to handle all of these different personalities and bring them together as a team. Yeah, we know we had the bickering bills back then and everything, but guess what? They went to four Super Bowls. So there had to be some kind of cohesive unit at that point and able to do that. Absolutely. And we we all know what happened in terms of they didn't come away with the final prize, but it takes that kind of commitment to working through the personal differences and taking the time to understand what kind of a player you have in player X and what kind of a player do you have in player Y and what motivates player X may not be the same thing that motivates player Y. And Marv Marv Levy was really good at tapping into what he knew would set off a player and get them motivated. And I think Sean McDermott has a lot of the same qualities. Oh, he certainly does. And then, I mean, let's talk about Brandon Bean for a minute, because we actually just saw that video recently of the Sabres game where Bean and Allen were sitting next to each other. And I think they played the shout song and Allen kind of brought him in in like a big bear hug. And quite frankly, Bean looked a little bit frightened. Probably most men would. (laughs) Shows the kind of relationship that they have. And I think what I also read in the Buffalo News that Allen always texts with Jack Eichel, the captain for the Sabres, and Ralph Kruger, the coach of the Sabres, always texts with Sean McDermott. So there's truly a community-building thing going on there, and that plays into it. Trust me, that plays into it. I was just going to add to that in terms of what you're saying, the one Buffalo kind of concept is something that we don't have in other cities, in other NFL teams. And I'm finding it quite fascinating, to be honest with you, um, to watch how the two teams, by that I mean the Bills and the Sabres, how they 
react to one another. For example, Tredavious White and his goalie school. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff may seem really goofy, but I don't think it's goofy at all to see that kind of camaraderie across the two different sports. You know, we have a we have kind of a unique situation going for us here. Yeah, that's 100%. It's not goofy at all. I mean, look at how good the Sabres and the Bills are right now. I'm not even a hockey fan, but I see all of my Twitter followers posting. Look how good they are right now. They're supporting each other and they're both good. I don't think that's too much of a coincidence. They're building these teams the right way. Absolutely. And since you're talking about building teams the right way, the next point I think to talk about when we look at the front office evaluation is how can you not love Brandon Bean's drafting genius? Oh, how about that? Oh my God. He has been able to pull a rabbit out of his hat. I don't know how many times and his track record, and it's only two drafts, I get it, but it's enough of a sample size for me to say, you know what? You have been able to pick people out of the fourth and later rounds like I haven't seen since Bill Polian. That's some pretty good company to be named in there with. No kidding. Let's let's look at the draft picks a little bit, actually. If you don't mind, let's go through some 2018-2019 draft picks by the Bills just to see some of the names in there. Okay, so we know the first pick, round one, was Josh Allen. That's who we're hoping our franchise quarterback is. Then round one again, he moves up, and he picks Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds is going to be a star in this league. And I don't care about all the naysayers and what they think they see in the box scores. I don't want to hear any of that. He will be a star. I completely agree with you. We've talked about this before on, I think, one other podcast about the misconceptions about Tremaine Edmonds because he doesn't have sack numbers. He's He's got a lot of tackles and he bats balls down. He's such a unique physical freak at that position. I don't think that we even really know what his ceiling could be. Yeah, because he's so young. He has such a big arm span and he has a nose for the ball. So I agree with that. Then we look at round three, you have Harrison Phillips. That's an outstanding, outstanding first couple picks right there in the 2018 draft. Absolutely. Harrison Phillips is an interesting player. I watched him last year grow in his role. And it's so sad that he's missing the rest of the season because he was just starting to hit his stride. He was. And just like And okay, let's think about this. Who could be the potential beneficiary? Well, we know Jordan Phillips has been a beneficiary of Paris and Phillips' absence. But at the same time, Ed Oliver is probably also getting some some benefit in terms of just time on the field Mm -hmm. and reps. And the interior part of that defensive line is really stout. And Harrison Phillips is a big part of that. And I think that, as you said, next year is kind of a critical year. If this had to happen to him at any point in time, I'm glad it happened early enough in the season that hopefully by next season, he'll be back rocking and rolling 100%. Yep. And then then you look at the next two picks, round four and five, you have Taron Johnson, who the Bills have missed these past couple of weeks because he's been hurt. And then you have Saran Neal. He adds to the team. You have Wyatt Teller. Now, of course, we were able to trade him, but that's right there. You're able to trade a a fifth-round pick. Somebody wants your fifth-round pick. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Then you have Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl. Okay, well, they didn't make the team. Ray Ray was with the team last year, cut this year. Austin Prohl, I think, was kind of cut right off the bat, but big deal. They're sixth and seventh-round picks. 
Well, you're not going to hit on all of those late round picks. That's for sure. No, nobody does. And nobody's expecting him to, I would hope. And then you look at this year's draft. You have, oh, I just, I love his drafts. Give me one second. So this year's draft, round one, Ed Oliver. That's a great pick right there because he's helping on our defense and he's learning and he's getting better. Cody Ford, jury's still out a little bit on that because I think they keep moving him around and putting him in spots that they he shouldn't be in. And he kind of gets beat on the edge a little bit and he's not as fast as some of those pass rushers. But I think there's still something to work with as far as Cody Ford's concerned. Oh my goodness, yes. And I have to say, I hear this talk about him, you know, kind of flaming out as an offensive tackle, whatever, whatever. It's so hard to project from college to the pros. Mm -hmm. And I think that's particularly true you know, on the offensive line. At what position you play in college often doesn't correlate to what you're going to do in the NFL. Now, they don't move guards to tackles or tackles to guards very often. But in this case with Cody Ford, he may very well be better suited as a guard and he could be a dominant guard. And by the way, I think it's garbage that we have these old biases about, well, the left tackle is the most important, you know, pay your left tackle money above and beyond whatever other position there is on the line. No, I think that, that offensive lines are evolving now to the point where it may depend on your particular offense, which offensive lineman is the most valuable to that team. Right. So you know, this misnomer about, well, if you're not a tackle and you're just a guard, you're not going to make that much money. I don't think so. I think what we're going to see is you will get paid by how well you can multitask. You look at a guy like Ryan Bates, he can play every position on the line. Mm. If he plays well and he gets a big contract, he's going to get a really big contract. Yeah, absolutely. I hope he plays well. I'm hoping for that. So then you have Devin Singletary. I mean, we love Frank Gore, but Devin Singletary is our future, and he's looked every bit the part. Devin Singletary single-handedly made LaShawn McCoy expendable. Right, absolutely. I don't think the intention was to draft a running back in the third round, but this is what I'm saying about how smart Bean is in terms of you take the best player mm -hmm. available. and. Bean was so right on in terms of he saw this young man just sticking out like a sore thumb in the third round. And I think it was wise of him. You know, people can say, oh, my God, why did why did they pick a running back? Well, now you know why, because in the games that he has played in, he's made a huge difference. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then you have tight end Dawson Knox and tight end Tommy Sweeney, who have both contributed in multiple ways. Knox has turned out to be a pretty good blocker, and he's caught some really good passes and important passes from Josh Allen. Now, I'd like to see those two step it up in terms of stop dropping the balls that you should be catching that are right in your hands, but they're rookies. They'll get better at it. Well, think about this. We've been playing the whole season so far without who was supposed to be our star tight end, Tyler Croft. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Knox and Sweeney have stepped in and done a fabulous job for rookies. They, they really have. And then you have linebacker Voshan Joseph. I think he went to IR. But they did see things in him that they liked, that they thought maybe he could contribute. And then you have safety Jaquan Johnson. Interesting thing about him, 
was that he was named to PFF's preseason all-rookie team. So in the preseason, he shined, and he can learn behind Micah Hyde and behind Jordan Poyer. Absolutely right. And then you have probably one of the steals of the draft in defensive end Daryl Johnson because he's been fantastic. He blocked a field goal last week against the Titans. He had his first uh, recorded sack. He's really also getting a nose for the ball. And in the seventh round, I think he might be a stud. I think that Daryl is an absolute freak. Getting him in the seventh round, Hmm. he reminds me in terms of his raw ability. I'm not saying he's going to be Tremaine Edmonds, but he has that same kind of freakish physicality. And so you don't even know what this kid's ceiling could be. And picking him in the seventh round was a steal. I think it was a steal of the draft. I might be biased, but that's what I think. (laughs) I agree. All right. So we know that Brandon Bean is just, he's a really good drafter so far. I love that about him. And here's the other thing too, that I want to point out. A lot of people have given the team shit a little bit because they don't like that the owners and Brandon Bean, who's the GM, are so interactive with the players. They think they should be kept completely separate. But I disagree on that 100% because they are promoting camaraderie and brotherhood, just being together and moving as a unit. And how could they do that if they don't practice what they preach? Absolutely. the question I have for, for the people that think these boundaries should be in place, I understand that from a professional standpoint, but I don't agree with it in the sense of a football team and, and how you're building, as you said, camaraderie and that sort of thing. Why I'm trying to even in my own mind figure out why would you object to that? Mm-hmm. You know, why? That doesn't even make sense to me. If the players and the coaching staff and the front office and the owners all have a good working relationship together, isn't that good? Well, yeah, I think it is. You know where I think it comes from? I think it comes from when Ralph Wilson owned the team and everybody said that he was a meddling kind of owner and they didn't like that because he didn't really know what he was doing as far as operations of a football team. And they think that maybe he made some moves and pushed things that shouldn't have happened. But I don't see it the same way with the Pagulas and with Brandon Bean. They're actually taking time to know their players and care about their players. And you say, you know, people like Jordan Phillips or Richie Incognito, for instance, when he came to the Bills, he said that he was so happy that they gave him a chance and they actually cared enough about him to give him a chance. And they help players as much as they can with whatever situation they're dealing with. So how is that wrong? Why is that so bad? Absolutely. And it's interesting you bring up Ralph Wilson because (laughs) it it is interesting. Go back all the way to Rob Johnson and Doug Flutie and the decision to start Rob Johnson, rumor has it, is because Ralph Wilson paid the guy $25 million and he was going to make sure he got his money's worth. (laughs) And if that, in fact, is true, that is where you don't really want to be a meddling owner. Now, there's a difference between meddling into who you're going to have as your starting quarterback and, quote, meddling in terms of bringing your team together or having dinner together or giving each other a bear hug at a hockey game. I mean, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, the point is it's different. It's different the way that they enmesh with 
the players. It's not talking about an ownership group that's meddling in the decision makings of what's going on in the field. Right. Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula have no interest in doing that. All they want is to hire the very best people to do that for them. Right. You know, I kind of get it in a way. Think about this. The Pagulas, and, and mostly Terry in the earlier days, he talks about when he would go to Sabres games and sit and watch the Sabres play. And people talk about owners as fans. And you could look at some people critiquing the Pagulas and saying, you shouldn't make decisions based on being a fan of the team. You own the team. You have to be an owner. Well, I would hope the owner is also a fan of the team. Right. Because if not, then they aren't as emotionally invested as the rest of us. And they should be. Exactly. And to Ralph Wilson's credit, he later in his life was willing to put out the resources you know, necessary to bring top talent to Buffalo, but he never did it the way the Pagulas do. No. In terms of the the players, how many players have we heard say straight up, I want to come and play for this team because the Pagulas are terrific owners. Yeah. Class X. And here's the thing. The slogan, one Buffalo, means just that. They're a family. And that's what they portray, and that's how they act, and that's truly how they are. Absolutely. And I think that leads into, in terms of the front office, ownership is a huge issue. We are so lucky. Okay, we endured a lot of years where ownership did not want to put in the resources necessary to hire the best coaches, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now that's all changed. But I look at the team in Washington and shake my head and wonder how many more years is it going to be before Daniel Snyder steps out of his mm. own way? Mm -hmm. And we don't have that issue. Let's talk about Kim Pagula. I mean, obviously, Terry and Kim own it together, but Kim is running things. So how instrumental is Kim to uh, this organization? In so many ways that I can't even quantify, the woman has changed the face of both franchises. And frankly, I think she's changing the view of women owners. She's blazing a trail. I'll give you an example in terms of when Russ Brandon was fired and she came in and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be the president, general manager, coach, whatever they can, they can report directly to me. When she took that layer out in terms of the layer of having a team president, Oh my goodness gracious, how many people howled about that? And it was, you know, she was going to run both organizations into the ground and she doesn't know what she's doing and she needs to have a president and blah, blah, blah. We heard this stuff incessantly. Well, you know what? I think she's done a pretty good job. She's got a staff in place with the bills. We all know that Anthony Lynn was the leading candidate to get that head coaching job when Rex Ryan was fired. Mm -hmm. And that did not happen. And I can't swear to it because I wasn't in the room, but I would bet you that she had a lot to do with why Sean McDermott was selected. Right. You know why? Because she has a vision, just like Sean McDermott has a vision. And Sean McDermott fit her vision. And that's, I agree with that 100% that she helped pick Sean McDermott. And another thing is, I mean, when you think about it with Russ Brandon, he was a mess. You heard all these rumors about Russ Brandon being a womanizer inside the Bills organization. You know, the, the old saying that you don't shit where you eat. Well, he was doing it 
if the rumors are to be believed. And then he was saying things to Kim like, you know, oh, I'm here at New Era Field, but really he would be, you know, where the Sabres were, or he'd be somewhere else. And he was just lying and things were just got really messy with him. And you know what? She's no nonsense. She went in there, she fired him and she took over. And now look where the bills are. Well, you can't argue with her results so far. And what I can add to that is that Kim Pagula, along with being involved with hiring of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, was probably also very involved in the decision to hire Ralph Kruger for the Sabres. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because if you listen to Ralph Kruger, he is very similar to Sean McDermott in terms of how he trusts the process, how he talks to players, the intangibles. He considers everything about the person that he's coaching, not just the player. And that similarity really strikes a chord with me because it shows me, in my mind, that maybe having that layer out of the front office in terms of a team president has turned out to be not such a bad idea. Right. And they're texting each other back and forth, Kruger and McDermott. So you guarantee that they're sharing ideas on how to run the teams together, which that's fantastic. Bring it on. All right. So the last point I want to make is I just read Brian Flores announced for the Miami Dolphins that Ryan Fitzpatrick will actually be the starting quarterback this week and not Josh Rosen. Holy cow. What do you think? Well, you know, I can't quite figure out what Miami's doing. Everybody talks about them tanking, and I don't know. I'm not in their front office. Maybe they are tanking, but I'm not really sure why they made this 180 degree because right after the game, they were talking about playing the Bills, and it was announced, I think this was like even like Sunday night, that Josh Rosen was going to start. Well, now... It's, you know, it's Wednesday and he's not going to start. What happened between Monday and Wednesday? I'm not, I'm not getting it. Maybe Josh Rosen threw a hissy fit. I don't know. (laughs) I still don't like him. I still think he has an attitude problem no matter what anybody says. So that's just what I'm going with. (laughs) Well, you know, I just find it very interesting in, in maybe, do you think that they think maybe Fitz has some inner knowledge of how to beat the Bills? I had thought that maybe that they feel like maybe not so much inner knowledge because everybody's different from when he played here, but he's used to playing in the stadium and he also kind of passion for the bills. So maybe they think in his heart, he'll put more into it in trying to beat them than Josh Rosen might. Well, I think that may be very true. The other question I have is, is it possible that maybe they're trying to put Fitz out there because they don't <laughs> they don't want Josh Rosen out there because they want to trade him. That's a possibility. It's the Miami Dolphins. They're wild card this year. You know, just like from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So that could be it. Or do you think that they're afraid that Josh Rosen will get crushed behind the Bills defense? Because Fitz is a little bit of a bigger guy. He could take a little bit of hits, you think? Oh, absolutely. That's one thing we know about Fitz. He he can take a beating. That guy was never afraid to duck his head and run, even though he didn't have half the physical ability that Josh Allen does. Right. So that that could be another decision. Why? I don't. I have any idea. And I, I find the Miami Dolphins infinitely interesting this year because I don't know what they're doing, and I can only presume that they are in tank mode. But uh, who knows? 
You know what, though? How sneaky would it be of them in a few days at the last possible moment that they announced that Fitz tweaked something and now it will be Josh Rosen? Maybe it's just something to so the Bills have to prepare for two quarterbacks. Well, I'm pretty sure that the, I heard them say in press conferences that they are preparing against both quarterbacks because the two quarterbacks are very different Yeah, in terms of their style. And because how many times have one or the other of them been benched already this year? Right. You never know what's going to happen. Fitz has been benched too. So I think they just have no choice but to prepare against both quarterbacks. All right. So now let's get to the last part of our podcast because we know that all of our listeners are waiting for this. This week's giveaway was an 8x10 of Shaq Lawson, the man, the myth, the legend of the Twitter wars against Taylor Lewan this past week against the Titans. I'm going to pick the winner. Let me put this in my app here one second. Okay. This week's winner of the 8x10 Shaq Lawson signed photo is Krista. And her at handle is at Chris, K-R-I-S-M-I-L-L. Are. So congratulations to you, Krista. We are so happy that you won. We want to tell you that for next week, we are doing a signed 8x10 of Steve Tasker. And in order to win, and be qualified to win, you have to follow us. And we're at the Mafia Mavens. You have to follow Jim Ruther, who is actually giving us these items to give away on our podcast. And that's at Jimmy, J-I-M-M-Y. R-E-U-8-1, and it's Jim Ruther, actually. He corrected me. I thought it was Ruther all this time, but it's Ruther. And you also have to, once we put the thread up on the Mafia Maven's Twitter account, you have to screenshot listening to our podcast so we know that you're listening and put it under that thread. And that's how you're automatically entered to win next week's 8x10 signed picture of Steve Tasker. So make sure you get those entries in. The contest will run until next Monday. Our podcast drops here Thursday at midnight, and you have until then to get those entries in. So thank you so much to Krista for listening and following all the rules, and congrats to her again. Before I go, I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to all of the Buffalo Rumblings podcasts on the network. We have Believe, Blitzed Bills, Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, Circling the Wagons, the Nick and Nolan show, and of course, our Mafia Maven show. We all bring you different perspectives, great content, up-to-the-minute news. Anything that you want about the Buffalo Bills you want to hear will be on this network. So make sure you like and subscribe all of our stuff. Leave us some feedback, if you will, so we know how to get better. And as always, Bills fans, thanks for listening. Let's go Buffalo. Squish the fish.